lot of the word we, we were sharing together. And uh, as I look at the dates for the ministries for the, for the different series they're working on, it's very, it's always shocking to me. I, y'all know this about me. It's kind of a th- funny thing I say. Um, to me, it's always going to be 2009 in my head. Um, it just feels that way. Um, I came here in 2007. I think I had a clue by 2009, maybe, or maybe I still don't, but uh, I, I felt more stabilized by then. And um, anyway, um, a lot of water under the bridge since then. But um, what we're doing in the teaching ministries of the church, uh, to me, is very special and, uh, and some, some, in some senses fairly rare. Um, we started over with Isaiah um, with an attempt to summarize Isaiah because we had done Isaiah back in 2007 through like 10 and, um, and got pretty far. Um, but, um, but I let it go for a little while. Isaiah is very challenging material, and it isn't very often preached. What people do is they find a Christological passage, and they do a sermon on it or, or something, or they'll do just Isaiah 53 or something. But Isaiah as a, as a book is the lifetime anthology of all the prophecies of Isaiah in his long 65-odd-year ministry. So we are continuing with Isaiah, and I noticed that this time last year in 2023, we were in like Isaiah 26, and um, now we're in Isaiah 31. So the summary is going real fast. But that's kind of deceptive a little bit. I mean, the, the numbers are deceptive because we've already covered uh, 36 through uh, 39. So we're almost turning the corner to Isaiah chapter 40. And I, I just misspoke. We just did 32 the other night. So I'm almost to Isaiah 33. And we're going we're gonna to get through there. It's tough. Isaiah's hard. When you read it in English... And you honestly want to say, this is what this is saying. I understand the message that's being conveyed. Um, In all of its entirety, uh, nobody says that when they just read through in English because you have to identify poetic structure. So we're doing that kind of work. That's Wednesday nights. And I'm thrilled with y'all coming out and being part of things on Wednesday. I've never been happier with Preston City Bible Church and the attention to the Word of God than I have been in 2023. And I'm just very thankful to God for that. And uh, the whole point of the word is so that we'll know God on his terms. And, um, and I, I know that seems really slow to work through Isaiah and only get through 10, 10 or so, so chapters in a year. Um, but that's not all we did on Wednesdays. Uh, some of the time we spent for equipping and other things. And um, I am just so excited about how God communicates his word and, um, and the insights we get from it. The big summary for us to take away from Isaiah is that when you see wrath, when you see God's wrath on his people, look for blessing. He's going to talk about blessing too. Um, And sometimes the way he brings blessing is through wrath, like with the cross. And um, and this is is why we're calling it the prophets of doom and uh, deliverance. Um, For most of 2023 on Sundays, we did a series beginning, I believe, in... um, Wow. No way. Did it start in October of 2022? Yeah, we did, we did God and government starting in October and ending in October. So we did a whole year of, I didn't mean to do that, of God and government. Um, minus sometimes, I, there was a mini sabbatical where I was out for um, a little more than a month uh, after the summer ministries. Um, and but we did, we did a series on God and government, and I hope that that was a blessing to you. That study is intended to give us principle and philosophy and, and theory uh, from the scriptures on how to, to approach something very practical and political. And I think the, the less political we are in our lives, understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying, well, I have a political life, but then my pastor life is, you know, I, I think your life shouldn't be very political, the more I think about it. Because politics is a, is a sham. Politics are people. That's what it means. It's, it's about the people and, and bumper stickers. And the scriptures have principles. And there are some bumper stickers that echo the scriptures' principles, like God made everything, he owns it all, and he distributes it as he sees fit. I mean, I could fit that on a bumper sticker. That's a Rosalind bumper sticker. That's going to be a long bumper sticker. Zoom in to read it. So the idea of redistribution of wealth is, is, is arrogant and satanic. And that kind of thing, that, that, that goal that people have to look at what others have and then redistribute it because they have governmental power. Like that's, 
Some of you are thinking political thoughts now, and I'd rather you thought principle thoughts. And there is an obvious political application. It seems obvious to us. But um, I think it's way more important as Christians that we are, we are on point with our principles because we, there's a connection to those principles and the gospel. And in our discourse, in our communication, in our in- encounter of other people, we definitely want to be about the gospel. There is an offense that you and I represent to the world at large. We're very offensive, but it's the exclusivity of the cross. Our offense is the cross of Christ that is the only way. And there is no other way, and that's offensive. We don't want to offend or get sideways with people over this guy or that gal um, who is a sinner created in God's image but broken who needs to be made new in Christ and probably almost all of them are in that category that they need to actually believe in Christ as their savior and so God and government was intended to, uh, to, to to bring that conversation to some biblical sanity about what it is and how it works and how you're related to it and I um, hopefully that was a I trust that was a blessing um, to study that together first hour with a little bit of a theological summary. And we finished the year on that first hour ministry with the discussion of um, Christian ownership, which is kind of a, a, like a sequel to that study, which whatever God, the, the great governing authority, whatever he delegates down is now yours to administer. And you've got to figure out what is an administration for you to work with. As a dispensationalist, one of the synonyms for dispensation is administration, what he's delegated, that dispensing of responsibility. And that includes your suffering. That includes the people that are troublesome for you. That includes the word of God. That includes all the things. We're having a good time with God and government and then Christian ownership or radical stewardship. In about March, we started looking at the gospel of Matthew verse by verse. And I'm proud to say in the Lord, I boast in him that we are in Matthew chapter 7. And um, the Matthew is a wonderful gospel in that it is structured around five discourses from the Lord Jesus. And we have slowed down for the Sermon on the Mount, but we'll pick back up and get back in, uh, on the horse uh, real soon to go after the second discourse on discipleship. So we are studying these things and, and all things. What we're learning is that it's about the Lord Jesus. It's about love and the power of the Spirit. It's about being pleasing to God because the judgment seat of Christ is coming. And I just want to reemphasize why we do what we do. Why the teaching? Why the teaching? Why the teaching? Because there's life to live. Because there's life to live, and you need to live it being filled by the Spirit. The filling of ministry of the Holy Spirit is described by the Apostle Paul in Colossians as letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. And I don't believe there's any spirituality without the Word of God and a regular diet. And the, the, the only thing, I mean, it's not only so that we grow, but you can't grow spiritually without the word, but it's not just for growth. It's also for the equipping me in the moment to serve. And I need to love as Christ loved. I need to love in the power of Christ. I need to love with the, to the same standard of Christ as we talked about last hour. And that's really what all the teaching is for, so that we can be pleasing to God as we walk with him and obey him. And that spiritual life brings honor and glory to God and reward and blessing and higher responsibility to you in the judgment seat of Christ and the coming kingdom. And that's really my idea toward you. Now, think about the time and resources that we have and the teaching of the word and the ministry to you and the coming to see you and all the things that pastors are known to do. I want you to hear me because I love you. I want you to hear me because I love you. As I look at you, if I'm looking at you as a sheep among this flock of the Lord, if I'm looking at you correctly, and I think of myself as more of a border collie than a, than a, than a shepherd, understand. I'm like a, an under-shepherd. If I look at you and I think about what do you need, and I think about what God's love calls me to toward you, I have to think past your details that you're going through now. I, they're involved. I've got to think through the troubles that you're, that you're struggling with. I've got to think past um, all of the things that are here and now and imagine you standing before the Lord Jesus Christ, having an evaluation for what you did, for the deeds done in the body. He doesn't say for the, the times you came to church and heard the word. It's how you used it. 
The deeds done in the body, whether good or bad, that's how I'm supposed to think of you as a pastor because that's coming, that's imminent, it's inevitable, and we know you're headed there. It's like a test that we all have to take, and we already know the answers. We already know what the test has on it. And so I'm supposed to think of you in those eternal spiritual terms. And when I do, what matters matters. What, what is important to God becomes important. And a lot of the other stuff, it can't be as important. It's got to be this eternal spiritual reality. And if you're there with me, you know exactly what I'm saying. And if you're not, you're like, oh, he doesn't care about... No, I care about every decision you make because Jesus is going to say something about what you did with the Spirit regarding that decision. Every decision you make. So it matters to me. I want you to know why we teach. That's what it's for There is no point to uh, the word if you just take it in and you don't live it out. There's no benefit. I I believe you really haven't benefited from the nutrition. Uh, That's like eating too much and then not exercising. That's not a good thing either. Okay, So, so I just want you to understand, I consider myself equipping the saints for the ministry of service in Ephesians 4.12. I think that's why the communication gifts have been given. I think we're all supposed to do that. We're all supposed to grow in the word so that in the spiritual giftedness God gave us, we equip the saints for the ministry of service. And who are the saints? It's us. And we're supposed to be building up the body of Christ. And I think there's supposed to be a, a spiritual maturity factor that kind of takes over. And as you grow spiritually, you get part of this work and you have your role in it. And I consider myself uh, an equipper. I consider that we're supposed to be, I'm supposed to be, and those that teach are supposed to be equipping you to do the work. We're not doing the work. We're equipping you to do the work. And that's my work is equipping. I hope you understand. I am not the coach calling the shots on the sideline. I'm not the quarterback calling the audible on the field. I'm the guy in the locker room handing out equipment. Here, go, go, here are your pads and your helmet. You've got to get out there and go, go, go run the plays. God's the coach. He's calling the shots. Okay, I'm, I'm an equipper. And, but, but understand what the equipping is for. You have choices to make and your choices matter to God eternally. And that is my summary for 2023 except to say thank you for all the marvelous uh, effort for those that taught in my absence. And, um, and we had some wonderful times uh, hearing from Mike and Mark and, uh, and Lou and, um, and guest speakers and others that I am uh, drawing a blank at the moment. I apologize. If you start listing people, you got to list everybody. So everybody that served, I think Rusty spoke once and um, and the, this church is blessed with communicators and looking for opportunities for them to communicate is part of my uh, task, I think. And so I'm super uh, grateful. The summer ministries are almost as taxing on us as the winter ministries. And um, so in the fall and in the spring, we all just try to recover and prepare for the next phase of summer or winter ministries and um, my challenge to you about that, as you, if, if you're seeing me at every event in the winter or in the summer, then you're tired. Right now, on January 14th, you're tired. And, um, and so you've got to pace yourself. And um, I think the Lord has given us marvelous things to do and many hands to do it. All right, well, let's turn our Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 7. Oh, there's one other thing I want to say. There's always, always one more thing. One more thing about, about the year. The, the, the Lord has provided us more than a year ago with, um, with a lot of know-how and wisdom in the person of Lou Sansone regarding um, the future of the building ministry here. This building is a ministry. You don't think so? Then drive up and down 164. What's going on in there? Everybody sees it. Everybody sees us. It's Got a steeple pointing up at heaven. It needs a little bit of love. And Lou has built a, build, a couple of churches before with, as, a, as a participant in church. He's done this before, and he knows how to do it. And he sat in those very comfortable seats for a little while and noticed that there might be options and opportunities to do something a little more, a little more space or something that's updated or something. And, and we talked, and I said, yeah, we've got a building plan or we've got a building vision that's kind of, kind of in mothballs since 2015. And, um, and so we, we put together a team 
of skilled people. We have Jack Hayes who has designed multiple buildings. He does this for his work. And he's really good at it. We have Mike. And, and Mike is, is good at many things. And one of the things Mike does on the team is he says no. Um, <laughs> or I don't like that. Uh, Mike's, I call Mike the brakes. Not to his face, except when I get away with it. No. I'm the, I'm the, the um, go get it guy. I'm the put fire in the cult. Let's do, let's go, let's go, let's go. And Mike's like, well, what about? And so we work together that way. And uh, I, I know Mike loves it. <laughs> um, I need a Mike. I need people in my life that are like, have you thought about? I just, made a, I just scheduled a meeting a minute ago with someone that I already have a meeting scheduled. It happens all the time. Calendar is my kryptonite, just seriously. Um, not that I'm Superman, but the I, calendar is the hardest thing in the world for someone like me. So, so anyway, Mike, Mike and I are, are um, in leadership with this, and I am the least informed person about building. But I want you to know there is a plan that is almost ready to execute to produce a structure that, that works for the Preston Historic Village District, that continues the legacy, that continues to tell the world that Jesus is, king, is the Lord and he's going to come back as the king. Like we have the message in the bricks and the sticks um, ready. And, and it's only, there's only one reason for a church building. It's to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and be the pillar and ground of the truth in our assembly. And you don't have to have a church building. You can go to the school of Tyrannus and teach the word as Paul did in, the, in, 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 in Acts. They're meeting in John's, uh, uh, John Mark's upper room. And uh, wherever you can and whatever you need, but form following function, we've designed something with prayer every step of the way that is modest and to my mind, expensive. It's modest and it's expensive. And we are needing to be in prayer for God to provide the resources financially to do it. I would rather have a good plan wrought by geniuses that know what they're doing and not have funds than have funds and no plan. Because what happens to those funds? They sit or they, or they get frittered. I don't want either of those things. So this is a spiritual matter. It's the work of the gospel. And it's not an end in itself. The building serves the purpose of the goal of our instruction is love. We want to love one another, and we want to love those who come through those doors, and we want them to know they're loved, and we want to do it right. And we especially want to love our Savior and how we ameliorate the gospel. So I'm just asking for continued prayer about this. There's a lot of effort that has gone through, and, and it, it's not surprising to me that um, the planning phase of this will take as long or longer than the construction phase. Now, the next step, step really is the fundraising. And we don't use that fundraising in, in the, I mean, I shouldn't even say fundraising. There has to be X dollars to build X building. That's how it works. So my appeal to you is not to give, give, give. Squeeze the rock. We're about to, uh, to talk about a budget in our meeting. I'm not asking you to give, uh, to give to the building fund. I'm asking you to ask God to give us the necessary resources to do what he wants. And I'm a pre-trib rapture uh, adherent. I believe Jesus is coming in the clouds for the church. And I think he's coming at any moment. And I would love not to need a building. That's the best. There's no problem I'm facing in my life. The rapture doesn't solve. And uh, I look forward to that. Uh, hopefully you do too. But I'm not counting on it to happen to get me out of stuff. Like we've got to serve God here in these environments. Something has to be done here. So I do ask you to continue to pray for that effort. And... Um, I believe once we have the necessary resources, we're less than 18 months from having our new st structure. The big weight is going to be on the resources. Our friends down in North Stonington Bible Church uh, recently built their second phase, and we've watched them do it. The first phase, they, they did a fundraiser. They, they just added to their building fund and prayed about it and stayed with it for 10 years. And the second phase, I believe, was 10 or 11 years. And they just waited till they had the resources and did it. And um, so my plan, and I've told you this, and I'll always say this, is, to not, is not to uh, get us into debt with banks. I, I don't want to come to you hat in hand and say, people, we're not covering our mortgage that we owe the bank. Don't, I don't want to ever say that to you. So we'll just be uncomfortable until the Lord provides. 
and then we'll be uncomfortable in a new way. So that's my building uh, update brief, brief for you as we, and, and the, the budget doesn't cover, it doesn't talk about building, the building fund's separate from our annual budget, just so you know. But it's something that um, we're preparing a, a, a pretty big update in the next few weeks. We're gonna have Lou come up here and talk about it because he knows what he's talking about. All right, we're in Matthew chapter seven. <clears throat> there are closing moments this morning. We, we really um, beat on the golden rule in verse 13. So now I want to talk about Matthew chapter 7, uh, that's in verse 12, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, the gate. There we go. Enter through the narrow gate. And the New American Standard says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. And then they'll talk about false prophets. We'll take it topic at a time. Enter through the narrow gate because broad is the gate. The word gate both times. And spacious, wide is the way which leads to destruction. Many there are who enter through it. That's your English order, or the Greek order, put into English, almost interlinear translation here. And I just want to say that if you are the kind of person that tends to get a consensus to see what you're supposed to do, you're kind of at odds with verse 13 in Matthew 7. If you're the kind of person that waits to find out what everybody else is doing so then you know what to do, well, it depends on who you're looking at. But, you know, a million people can't be wrong, right? Yeah, yeah, 150 million people can be wrong. I don't know how many Christians there are in America, but there's only one way to God. And most of the world is rejecting that way. We can't live our lives on consensus. I know it's popular to say, well, if the Holy Spirit is in the church, then we should be seeing the movement of the Holy Spirit through the church and, and try to catalog or classify how he's working. But that's a wind blowing through the trees kind of thing. And that's like trying to assess the weather. The weather's very complicated. The wind blowing does what it wills. And what my point is that nowhere in the scriptures we're told to get the whole group together. That's the rapture. The whole group is composed of individual cells of local churches, local assemblies. And those local assemblies are composed of households, and, and individuals that are not in a household, they're on their own, but, they're, but it's households and individuals who are working God's work in the power of God's Spirit individually. And the collective, the idea of the collective working of the Spirit is, is not a major topic in the New Testament, although I don't doubt that he's doing what he's doing. But the, the scriptures are really clear. We have a collective mission, and that's the way we need to get about it is not by consensus, but by revelation. Enter through the narrow gate is Jesus saying, it's going to be my way or no way. Jesus' way or no way. And I'm content with that. Are you content with that? Or do you find that to be a little bit presumptuous of our Lord and Savior? Who does he, who is he to think that he has the right to say only this way? That it's most of the world misses it and they're wrong. And they could get it right, but they're going to have to go my way. How could he think he has the right to say that? Well, he'd have to be the creator and the owner of everything. And he's telling you. This is the way. How small, literally, not for small, but how small the gate. It's, an, it's sort of an exclamation. And constricted the way which leads to life. Few are they who find it. So far in Matthew 5 through 6 and part of 7, Jesus has been saying, you've got a problem and you don't know what it is, but it's, ultimately it's your heart. It's the inside, not the outside. It's not your actions. It's the reason you do them. 
Again and again, it's that theory. When the law kills you and says, you're guilty of adultery for looking the wrong way at someone. We have two things we can do with that. We can say, well, everybody does that. I mean, that's, that's our condition. We talked about the old sin nature a moment ago with the children. Yeah, I mean, everybody has the thing, and so it's... And then we join the broad way because we forget that that's a problem. It's a problem for us and everyone else. You want a life, you're going to get it through Jesus. He's the only way. And you don't, it does no good to say, well, he can't mean that I'm guilty of this when everybody does it. No, he's saying everybody's guilty of this. So let the law kill you and then get your life from Christ who fulfilled the law for you by trusting in him as your savior. Few are they who find it. I wish it weren't this way, but I'm also reinforced that it is this way. I wish it was not, but it reinforces me when I look at the world around me. This is how it is. Most people are not interested. And what's interesting to me is when you look at the church, Christianity, and what people want, and cultural, you know, the cultural expressions, and there are many cultures through the world. It's not like we are the culture. Our country and our youth make the culture. It's just one of many cultures. Um, what is the consensus within the church for the way? And I think you're going to see that become less and less of a guide for you as we continue to decline culturally. I think we're in uh, the opening phases of a globalism in which a majority of the world's population religiously will worship a Satan-possessed ruler. That's where the culture, all the cultures are headed. I believe that. That's, so it, just as, as it's always been, this has always been true, but it's certainly uh, true now that you cannot go for consensus. And I don't even look for consensus um, with um, Christendom. I look for the word of God. And if I'm right, it's because Jesus uh, has given me some, uh, a clue. He's, he's, he's kind of showing me the way if I'm right. And if I'm right with him and everybody else disagrees with me, it's okay. I'm still right because it's not about me and being right. It's about him. And that's really going to be the answer. Now we talk about false prophets. In verse 15, he introduces the concept of false prophet. And I think it keeps going because in verse 21 uh, or verse uh, 22, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? The false prophet discussion doesn't end in verse 20. He says, Beware of the false prophets who come into you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There's a word picture for you from a, from a shepherd with sheep and wolves. You will know them by their fruits. The most mis, misquoted verse, except for 7.1, in the Sermon on the Mount. You'll know them by their fruits. And that becomes the main way you can talk about soteriology. You know a Christian if they have Christian works. But he's not talking about whether someone's a Christian. He's talking about who do you listen to as a prophet. It's false prophets is the topic. And the fruit of the prophet is his prophecy and whether it comes to, 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 to the fore, where it, whether it takes place. It's important to interpret the scriptures in the time in which it's written. You'll know them by their fruits Grapes are not gathered from bushes, nor figs from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. So is he talking about the lake of fire? I don't think he's talking about the lake of fire there because he's talking about what you do with fruit trees. Now, it could be the lake of fire. It certainly could be. But just because you see fire doesn't mean we're talking about the status of whether someone's a believer. We're talking about there's a cause and effect. There's a cause and effect relationship. And so if you are struggling with personal sin, but you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not supposed to read that and wonder if you're really saved. That insecurity is no basis of assurance, and it's no basis for service to God. You're saved by grace through faith, and you're supposed to be being saved from the power of your sin nature as you rely on Christ and the power of God, the Holy Spirit, that's abiding in Him. And you are not guaranteed to perform and bear fruit, but you should. And you're guaranteed that you're responsible to, you're guaranteed that you're able to in the Spirit. 
So um, the topic of the false prophets is very important in the time in which Jesus was ministering because there were lots of false prophets floating around, and there still are false prophets today. Now, what would a false prophet be? That would be somebody that says, I have a word from God who doesn't have a word from God. That would be somebody, we know the test of the prophets in Deuteronomy, the, the, the false prophets. If you say that you have a word from God and here's what's going to happen and then it doesn't come true, that's one of the indicators of a false prophet. Moses also said, if you say that you uh, come from the Lord but your word contradicts Moses, that's another indication of a false prophet. Lots of false prophets in the world. And if the topic is prophecy, please understand, then the topic is revelation. It's God's authoritative word. That's the topic that we're concerned for. And how does that affect your life? How is the revelation of God's word supposed to affect your life? Well, interestingly, the more you consume of God's word and live it out, the more you'll be able to bear the Spirit's fruit in your life. You'll be equipped by the Holy Spirit to carry that forth. And so Jesus is certainly teaching a general principle in a specific context about false prophets. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. How do you get hold of the will of the Father? How will you do that? Well, you'll go through the narrow gate. And the, the beginning of doing God's will is trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? See, are we judging them by their works? That's all works. We prophesied, we cast out demons, we did miracles. It was all in your name. All for you, Lord. No. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Well, we were doing law. We were doing the prophesying and the casting out demons. No, you weren't doing it with me. It was, there's a separation. And that's supposed to give everybody pause. If you're established, if, you're, if your basis for judging your life is your works, there better be some other basis. Because even doing miracles in his name and casting out demons. See what I mean? So the tree does bear the right fruit. And Jesus says, I'm interested in the fruit that you bore <laughs> in that case. In verse 15, we we'll zoom in a little bit. Beware the pseudo-prophets. Pseudo-prophetes. Beware the, the false prophets. Such ones or who come to you in clothing of probaton, of sheep. Sheep's clothing. But inside, they are leukoi harpagus. They are wolves that are hungry, ravenous wolves. The word uh, leukos is a wolf. That's pretty cool. Where you get the word lycanthropy. Now beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inside they're ravenous wolves. On the outside, as he's been discussing the whole time, you can see clothing that looks like a sheep. On the outside, the external appearance looks good, but inside they're ravenous wolves. Well, Lord, I'm in trouble because all I can see is the outside, but you see the heart. And so the Lord's saying, this is how you'll make the assessment. From their fruits, you will fully, you will epigonosco, fully know them. Not a common word for knowing. You'll fully know them. They don't gather from thorn plants, a cluster of grapes, do they? Or from thistles, figs. So you'll know them by their fruits is the principle that helps you figure out the false prophet. Thus, every good tree, or good tree, beautiful fruit makes. I know that's not very clean, but agathos, good. Kalos, attractive in appearance, good, is kind of the the gloss for that. So I've said beautiful. Every good tree, beautiful fruit makes, but the bad tree, evil fruit makes. The, uh, the, the bad tree, poneros. Poneros is um, not bread. It's, uh, it's uh, <laughs> evil. So it's, it's, there's an appearance factor, and then there's the fruit, the works that you see that he's talking about. It's not able, a good tree, evil fruit to make, neither is a bad tree, beautiful fruit, able to make. 
Every tree not producing beautiful fruit is cut down into the fire is thrown. Therefore, from their fruits, you will fully know them. All right, so if we've got a bad tree producing bad fruit in the time in which Jesus is talking about, think about what's about to take place within a few chapters. In a few chapters, they're going to accuse Jesus, the leadership will accuse Jesus of casting out demons in the power of Satan. And Jesus will say that this is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And then he'll start teaching in parables in Matthew 13 as a judgment on the nation because they have rejected him as their Messiah. It's the ark of the messianic offer as portrayed in Matthew. The leadership include the religious crowd. In one place, uh, one, of the, one of the high priests does prophesy accidentally because he's the high priest. I think you have to watch the religious crowd when you hear Jesus talking about false prophets. And we should today, too. Who are the religious crowd? They're the good ones. They're the people that are right and holy. They look like sheep, but inside are ravenous wolves. By their fruits, you'll know them. By what they say, in the context of the prophet, their prophecy, what they say, you'll fully know them. The way I would apply this today would be, um, what is the message about life? And how are people treating the Lord Jesus Christ? Are they telling you that there are works for you to do to help Jesus with his work on the cross? Is that the way life is being portrayed? I think the fruit of the prophet primarily is his prophecy. And this makes me dive deeper into the word of God, the prophetic word of God that is his authoritative revelation to us. And I makes me keep my finger in the Bible too because um, if, the, if the simplistic reading of this is that a good boy does good things and bad boys do bad things, so the good boys must be good and the bad boys must be... If that's what this is talking about, then I don't understand why he calls them prophets. But if it's something deeper, like do you have hold of God's revelation? By the way, Jesus is about to equip his disciples to become the apostles who will continue the revelation in the writing ministry that was ceased with Malachi. We're reading Matthew, the apostle prophetic word of God. And there are a lot of things that were said supposedly prophetically in the years after Jesus' death. Ever heard of the Gospel of Thomas? There are lots of false writings attributed to Christian people or or, uh, purportedly being the word of God. Whenever somebody says, the Lord told me, in my mind, there's a Bible that always opens up, right? I wonder where. What do you mean where? What verse did he tell you? I once saw um, a charismatic, famous, likely home with the Lord now, charismatic preacher prophesy on TV that so-and-so was going to win the presidential election because the Lord told him. So my question on such a person, the superstar I'm thinking of, Did the Lord tell him a lie when the guy didn't win that he said? I mean, it's like picking horses. Did the Lord lie? Or did the Lord send a a spirit of falsehood like like in in the Jehoshaphat story? Is that what happened? Or is this just emotionalism and mysticism and God didn't say anything? See, that the word of God is alive and powerful. And we have it word for word. So you watch the product of the, of the prophet to know the internal workings, so what's going on inside. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. What will it be for everyone? Everyone who enters the kingdom, what will they have said? If it's not to say, Lord, Lord, then what is it? Think about that. Alistair Begg gave a sermon that everybody's probably seen a a clip from. He told me I could come. (laughs) Savior, Savior, save me. 
You died for my sins and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. No one who says that, and I mean believes that, is going to miss the kingdom. Not everyone who says to be Lord, Lord, and we understand this would be somebody that's saying he's their Lord, but he's not. will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, so the will of the Father apparently is not to run around saying, Lord, Lord. <laughs> right? Maybe there's something else he wants us to do. And Jesus has hinted at it all through by saying that there's a problem that goes to our very hearts. Many will say to me in that day, that's a phrase, that's a pregnant phrase, in that day, all through the prophets in the New Testament, and it, it seems to be in the consummation, and, and this would be likely at the great white throne judgment. Lord, Lord, in your name did we not prophesy. Doesn't get any better than that. We gave you all the glory. We, we did it in your name. But you weren't doing it in my power. You weren't doing it with me is apparently the problem. You don't really have a relationship with him, even though you have claimed the brand. In your name do we not prophesy, and in your name cast out demons, in your name do many deeds of power, and I will then confess, homo logeo, I will state the case to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. Okay, so isn't it right to prophesy if you have a prophetic word? Isn't it right to cast out demons? I mean, we don't want to be working with demons. We want to cast out the demons. Isn't it right in their day to to uh, heal the sick in supernatural power? Wouldn't that have been what Jesus did? What's missing? We did it in your name. What's missing? Him. What's missing is that it's his work through you. It's not that they did the wrong thing, but what they did ended up being lawlessness because it's not with him. All this language of the narrow gate and the broad gate and now the false prophets is pointing to him. And so we turn the corner to the great parable. It's a great way to end the Sermon on the Mount since Jesus did. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and poieo, and does them. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Jesus is not interested in any of the epistles either of just hearing the word. He wants you to hear it and do it. Because in hearing it, now we're in the hearing phase, we believe what he said. In the doing phase, we continue to believe what he said, which actuates, motivates us to do the thing that he said. So I'm in the hearing phase, and well, you could say I'm doing this, I'm listening. He said, listen up, I'm listening, I'm doing the thing. But now, when it comes time to love that person that would otherwise be unlovable, in the power of the Holy Spirit, when it comes time to love your wife, even though whatever the problem is, now I've got to do what he said. And so that's the topic. It's the wisdom of carrying out these actions. Who hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. This sounds like a parable. This is an illustration we can all get hold of. This is what you want. You want to found your house on a strong foundation. What's the strong foundation? It's the intake and application of the word of God. It's hearing his words and doing them. That's your strong foundation. That's the way you build. This is what your life is. If it's the foundation, folks, it's the first thing and it's the most important thing. And how can you have the word of God be the foundation of your day? The way to have it be the foundation of your life is the foundation of your day. And the way you have it as a foundation of your day is it's your highest priority. Whatever else happens, I got to get in the word. It doesn't mean it happens first. Sometimes Jesus would get with his father last, but he made sure it happened. Whatever else was going to take place, I'm going to be in the word. And I'm not just going to be in it. I'm going to be in it, opening my heart to be willing to do it. Father, let me understand what you're saying and then let me do it. A wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rain came down and the rivers came up. (sighs) Floods, potamos, potamos, hippopotamus that's a hippo of a potamus that's a horse in a river hippopotamus means river horse well this word translated floods is rivers we know about this when the river gets enough rain it becomes a flood in yantic right this is what we just had so the rivers came up and the winds blew animos animos Yeah, that's a common word for us. How do you measure wind? What's wind speed measured in? By an an anemometer? The animos. There's a lot of animosity in this room right now. Animos. Okay, the, the winds. The winds blew 
and they fell upon the oikia, the house. They fell upon prospipto. They, they fell upon it like slammed against it. And it didn't fall. The wind, now this is something that doesn't, doesn't come out in English, but it's fun. Watch this. He says, the winds, the winds blew and prospipto, they fell upon the house, but the house didn't pipto, the house didn't fall. So the house was equal to the, to the stress it was put under and superior to the stress, yet it didn't fall for it had been founded upon the rock. Now, why didn't the house fall? Because the roof was at the right angle because of the proper construction materials. The reason he says that the house didn't fall is because it was built on the foundation. What's that foundation? You hear his words and do them. So that means there's a cause and effect. That means that there's coming a storm. That means that if I've got his word and I do it, then I'm ready for whatever. And if I don't have his word and do it, it doesn't matter what else is going on. The house is built on the wrong foundation. So first things have to be first. You don't know what's coming. You don't know what animos is coming, what wind and rain and, and flood. But we are expected to be tested in our faith. And everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and does not do them. Notice the category is not those that ignore the word in the taking in phase. Everybody's listening. It's those that do it versus those that don't do it. Does that relate to the previous statement about the prophet? Do my, the works of my father, you who practice lawlessness. We did these works. We called you Lord. We prophesied. Those weren't the works. What you were doing was not what I wanted you to do. Because it starts with a relationship with him. Everyone who hears these words of mine does not do them. Do you like to um, be ignored, moms and dads? When, they, when you have words of encouragement for how you want things to go, when you would like for things to go a certain way, like um, let's clean up our rooms or whatever you have for the kids. Let's do the things we need to do so we can do the things we want to do. Do you like to be ignored by them? Now, young people, look, look up here, please. This is really helpful. They don't want you to ignore them. And I want you to hear this. When you do... <laughs> When you do ignore them, they try not to take it personally, but they struggle. When you ignore your parents, what you're saying is what you have to say to me is not important. And therefore, since it's you that's saying it, in this moment, you're not important. And you may not be thinking that you mean that, but you do. You're saying that. And the parents, we have to be adults, not take that personally, think it through. They're just kids, and we have to... Correct them and train them and, and all that. But, but there's a personal transgression. There's a relationship sort of bro brokenness that's happened here. There's a fracture that you've said something to this other human that you probably wouldn't want to say. And that's, that's, it's personal. What I'm trying to show you is ignoring God is a personal choice about personal God and your personal relationship with him. And so I think the whole thing is driving you to the Lord, not just to what he says, but to him, because if I care about him, then I'll listen to what he said, and then I'll do it. You can't make mechanical what is personal and relational. And there are personal and relational mechanics in relationships, like communication. But it's still, at the bottom, it's, it's a personal, volitional arrangement. Everyone who hears these words of mine does not do them will be like a foolish man. So who wants to be a foolish man? <laughs> Andre Moreau, Andras um, Man Moro in the inflected form. So this is the, the dative singular, but it would be M-O-R-O-S or M-O-R-O-N. I like M-O-R-O-N. More on that later. Um, <laughs> the Rosalind kids are like... They've heard that so many times. <laughs> All right, like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. Now, what's the foundation? Hearing God's word and doing it. That's your foundation. What's the, well, that's the rock. What's the sand? Hearing God's word and not doing it. It's about the volitional moment of doing what he said. And the rains came down and the rivers came Erkomai, Patamoy, the rivers came. Then the winds blew, 
That's a fun word, pneuo. Uh, for pneuma, what pneuma does is pneuo, it blows. The winds blew, and um, different word, they beat against the house. Synonym for prospect, prospect, they fell upon the house, they beat against the house. My Bible slammed into the house, and it fell. The reason he chooses a different word is because there's going to be a different outcome, and he's accentuating this moment in his little parable. And it fell, and its fall was great. And I love that that is um, how he concludes what he says to these crowds. And its fall is great. It happened when Jesus finished these words. The crowds were amazed by his teaching, for his teaching is one having authority, not, as, not like the scribes. And that's the end of the message. You just do with that what you want. The problem is that we don't think we're building. We don't think we're in a building project. We don't think we're building something that's going to come under test, going to come under pressure, but we are. And so what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with Jesus' teaching? Well, I'll tell you what the nation did with the platform for the kingdom and the call to personal relationship with him. They rejected it. Ultimately, the nation would reject it, and that's, the, again, the narrative arc of the Gospel of Matthew. And what you and I need to figure out is, will we reject it? Do we reject the principles and platform of our coming king? Do we reject his righteousness? Do we reject the carrying out of his righteousness? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we dedicate the closing moments of our message this morning before our meeting to anyone who may not know Jesus as personal Savior. It does no good to call out Lord, Lord if Jesus doesn't know you. And whatever we do that isn't apparently empowered by him, he considers to be lawlessness. We all have a problem, and we can all say that. There's something we all have in common, that we need a Savior because we're sinners. It isn't that I need a Savior more than the other person, or the other person's a little bit worse than I am, or any of that. It's that compared to God's righteousness, we're all desperately in need of a Savior, or else we're going to go to the lake of fire because of the wrath of God on sin. Sin we inherited and sin we've committed. And what we have to do about that is trust in Jesus as our Savior because he died for your sins on the cross. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins and mine when he hung between heaven and earth and screamed out under cover of darkness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For it pleased the Father to crush the Son, says Isaiah 53. God had a plan for you in eternity past. He knew that you would need a Savior, and so he provided in love the thing you would need. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Would you consider the claims of Jesus Christ? Would you, in this moment, if you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Savior, would you consider what is the holdup? Why have you not thought of him and trusted in him as your Savior? What is the breakdown? What is the issue? Perhaps the issue is that you don't want to think about it. That's probably the most common honest answer. But I challenge you to think about it. Where will you spend eternity? How will you get there? The way is narrow. Few people find it, but we're pointing the light to it right now. You can trust in Jesus as your Savior. Our Father, thank you for eternal life, for a fantastic year in 2023, for the prospect of serving you day by day, moment by moment in 2024. Strengthen us to do it and the work you have in Christ's name. Amen.